This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Thank you for joining us, the Fight Back team here at Zoomer Radio. Libby returns on Thursday. Our conversation with the strategy panel this week is starting out the same way as it did last week with the We Charity controversy. And remember, the lines are open if you would like to comment or get in on the conversation. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Our strategy panel is John Capobianco, Senior VP and Senior Partner, Fleischmann Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of the Toronto Office of Earnscliff Strategy Group, and Karen Stins, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. Hello, panel. Hi. Hi, Jane. Hi, everybody. Everybody's doing well? Everyone's well. Good, good. Well, my first question to each of you, what was the strategy in Prime Minister Justin Trudeau skipping yesterday's question period and taking a personal day when he knew the opposition was waiting for him to provide answers for the Liberals' decision on We Charity and the Student Volunteering Program. Charles, do you want to answer for the Prime Minister first? Well, speaking for the Prime Minister, no, I do not speak for the Prime Minister. Let me <laughs> I make know. that perfectly 100% clear. Right. Um, yeah, he was scheduled to take a personal day. He took a personal day. He is appearing in the House of Commons and will be there for question period today. I don't think there's a lot of strategy in it. Um, I will say uh, a couple things off the top about the We Charity situation. Um, The first is it's late July, so that will have something of a mitigating impact on uh, sort of the, the public's degree of concern and awareness of what's going on. Second, COVID is obviously rearing its ugly head uh, across the country in a way that is um, leaving a lot of folks very concerned. So that will also have uh, a dampening effect on the, the impact of the uh, the We Charity situation. That said, it's a wake-up call for the government. I mean, clearly things have not been handled well at all. Um, there are very serious questions to be asked and answered with regards to um, how this situation has unfolded. And, you know, in terms of the actual strategy of how to deal with a situation like this, job one is like rule number one, don't lie, right? Get the information out there, warts and all, bring it all to light, preferably as quickly as possible, and, um, and let the dust settle. And, you know, the government has not done a very good job of that. And so we'll see what the prime minister has to say in the House today. Charles? Yes. Your thoughts? <laughs> I think the... you mean John and or Karen. Oh, oh sorry, John. <laughs> um, I, no, got con- I, I, I got confused. I would have preferred Karen first. <laughs> <laughs> go with Karen first? Okay, Karen, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No, I, you know, again, I, to, to your question, was there a strategy? No, I don't think there was. Um, you know, sometimes the, uh, maybe the view was, was Charles's view is that it's July, no one's paying attention. I'm going to duck this one. It'll go away. Um, I don't think this is going away. And I think that, uh, it is July, but it's one of those 
odd summers where everybody's home and everybody's looking at the news because we're home looking at the news. And I, I, I don't think this is going to be the end of the government, uh, minority government by any stretch of the imagination. But if there was any lessons to be learned from, you know, day one of this debacle to, you know, day five of the debacle, that the lessons aren't getting learned and that the government needs to be more transparent and forthcoming. And it's, there is, a, I think, a general consensus that the pandemic is being handled well. But on a side note, there is a growing concern about the economy. And the idea that the government would hand out a billion dollars without any oversight is something that the government needs to take quite seriously. And um, taking a personal day, I don't think was the right thing to do. What do you think about that, John? It it felt strategic to me that maybe he wanted to see what they were going to throw at Christian Freeland so that he could prepare better for today. Or is that just or is it, as Charles suggested, it was already scheduled? Well, it, it, it's easy to unschedule a personal day, uh, given given the situation. And I think, you know, I, I would say that if there was a strategy to it, Jane, it was probably that strategy you just mentioned where, they wanted to kind of see the kind of questions and, and maybe get the, the fewer of it out on, the, on day one and, and maybe hope that it dissipate, dissipates on day two today, um, but also have the prime minister a bit more prepared uh, going, into, going into question period, knowing that, you know, some of the hard questions or some of the tougher questions were asked yesterday and that he might be in a better position to answer them today. But, you know, this is the kind of story that as a government, you don't want to see uh, play out day in and day out. You want to sort of, you, you want to, you know, it's going to get a couple of days ahead as it did, and you want to sort of see it kind of fall, you know, in the page four or five or six of, of the papers, um, for those who do still read the papers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but, you know, so missing yesterday just allowed it to be another news story, because the news story is, of course, the we issue and, and the controversy and the scandal around that, but also the fact that the prime minister did, it was a no-show. So it allowed the media and the newspapers um, and, and the pundits and others to be able, and the opposition, more importantly, to be able to criticize him even further, to say, you know, he's ducking, he's weaving, he's, he's embarrassed, he doesn't know how to answer the questions. So notwithstanding the fact that he had a pre-scheduled personal day, which is fine, um, but, you know, it's easy to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to you know, punt my personal day to another day, and I'm going to go to the house, I'm going to take my lumps, uh, and, and answer the questions as he should. Because I think, like Karen said, this is a story that, you know, it, it's, the, it's, it's, it's a narrative that's building around this government. Uh, and you've seen it with a number of the other ethics investigations that have happened with the Aga Khan and the SNC-Lavalin, and this is yet another one, where people are starting to think this government feels entitled uh, or that there's sort of a, there's a Teflon exposure to them where, you know, no matter what happens, they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll ride the wave and, and they'll get through it. Um, and, you know, you, we saw that with blackface during the campaign where a lot of folks thought that the prime minister was finished and it was over. Um, you know, I know it did probably stop him from having a majority government and getting into a minority government. But still, I think that that narrative is going to be what's going to probably hurt this government more than anything else. I do want to ask the three of you the best way for the prime minister to handle the situation in question period today. But I'm also curious uh, to hear what you all thought of Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland's handling of the situation. Charles? Well, she's a stalwart. I mean, she has um, just proven through her role as deputy prime minister that she is an extraordinarily capable 
public servant with uh, with a very adroit political touch. And, you know, for a government that was sworn in in 2015 with a really a, a huge amount of inexperience, uh, at least around the cabinet table, just because a lot of them had been elected for the first time, she really shines as, as an example of someone who... Um, uh, who's able to take very, very complex and often sensitive matters and deal with them appropriately. And you can see that in terms of you know how effectively she's represented Canada at the bargaining table with the United States and also in, in terms of the provinces. In terms of you know what the Prime Minister has to do, I mean, first and foremost, he's already done it. He's apologized, right? That was really, really critical. Um, he's indicated that he's taking responsibility. But as I alluded to earlier, the bigger question is we need a, a fulsome accounting of exactly how this situation has unfolded the way it has. And that's the bigger challenge for the government. How do you how do you lay out as much of the information as possible um, without breaching cabinet confidentiality or making public materials that, that simply um, should not be made public because of cabinet confidentiality? And those are the really difficult judgment calls that have to be made politically. And um, so time will tell in terms of just how much life this story has. I mean, Karen may be right. More people may be watching the news. I doubt it. I think more people are probably uh, doing their best to enjoy themselves given, you know, what are very difficult circumstances. And again, the COVID is on the rise across the country. I mean, more than 200 cases in Ontario yesterday is is a big, big problem. And it goes right to the stage three reopening. It goes right to the intractable problem of what we're going to do with schools in the fall. And uh, Canadians have a lot of things to be worried about right now. And I'm just not sure we charity is one of them. We will talk about that as well with our strategy panel here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane for Libby, along with Charles Bird, John Capobianco, and Karen Stintz. They are here every Tuesday between noon and 1230. Uh, John, what about Christian Freeland's handling of the situation yesterday? And I, I wonder where Andrew Scheer is positioning uh, his one of his statements of late is, you liberals need to choose another leader. I wonder if having Christian Freeland take the heat for the prime minister yesterday was a good idea in light of that messaging. Well, and, and also Quebec Premier Legault was, was suggesting some time ago that, that maybe uh, the prime minister should step down and, and allow uh, Christia Friedland to take over the, the helm while, while the investigation is going on. So there's a, John, I think a, that was the Bloc Quebec. Well, yeah, that was, a blo- that was Blan- Blanchette. Big difference. Thank you for that. There was a big difference for that. Yeah, there is there is a big difference. Uh, I, I stand corrected. But yeah, there was a, somebody else uh, that was calling for the for for Christian Freeland to be leader. I, I think you know, and, and Charles said it right with respect to how she was uh, handling the issue and how she's handled the issue and how she's handled herself. Um, uh, you know, the fact that she was a former journalist, I think, helps a lot because obviously she can think like a journalist and 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 you know respond to uh, to questions uh, in in a way that that would obviously try to make journalists feel a bit more. Uh, fulfilled and, and getting the answers that they want. Um, the challenge, of course, with the prime minister today uh, is trying to to answer the questions in a way that that he can, given the fact that she, you know that Christopher Freeland was was doing it yesterday, and, and there'll be a lot of people comparing and 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 you know sort of seeing who you know who answered the questions well. So I think that'll be a challenge. But as, as far as as far as what the government needs to do, what the prime minister needs to do, I think you know the apology certainly helps. The fact that it was late. Uh, was helpful, but the fact that he apologized takes that away from the opposition. Um, the, the fact that the opposition 
you know, demanding an apology. Well, that's that's off the table now, mm-hmm. now that he's given the apology. Um, but I think the transparency, I think him going to committee, uh, you know, releasing cabinet confidentiality so that there's a full disclosure of the of the exchanges of emails and, and discussions that happened leading up to uh, to uh, the, uh, the announcement. All of that, the more transparent you are, the more open you are, the more, the less you're seen as trying to hide uh, issues or trying to be funny or too cute by half by claiming confidentiality of cabinet whilst, you know, he was able to release confidentiality in other matters, including the SNC-Lavalin. That's where I think, you know, he needs to be able to be the more transparent and the more accountable um, you are, I think Canadians will sort of realize that, you know, where the mistake was and if it was in fact intentional or if it wasn't intentional. We're talking about the We Charity controversy. And if you would like to comment here with our strategy panel, the numbers to call are 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Karen, you mentioned about how we were all looking at the video of the House of Commons question period yesterday. I don't know about you, but were you, I was watching Bill Morneau behind Christian Freeland, and I you could kind of read from his body language like, thank God she's fielding the questions. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so I, I think that, I mean, she's not involved in any way. She's, exactly. Right, so she's, if there's going to be a spokesperson on this one, it, she's a good one because she can't, she, she, she's in no conflict there. She's had no dealings with the charity, and so she's clean on that one. I, I do think it's interesting, though, that she continues to defend the liberal position um, by, by putting the public service out in front, saying, well, they recommended it. Mm-hmm. And that could get a little risky for her. Because there's there's lots of there's lots of elements of the scandal that are not, have not yet been answered yet. I mean, I say scandal uh, that that really wasn't in fact the civil service, the public service that recommended that a charity deliver this program, and it, 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 it would be interesting if it was because the federal public service showed incredible aptitude at delivering the the CERB, the wage subsidy, the programs, emergency relief programs, like they really stepped it up and. If it turns out that, in fact, the public service didn't recommend it or didn't recommend the program or didn't recommend we delivering the program, then it compromises her ability to be speaking on behalf of the local government. So I, I'm, it is a curiosity to me. You know, she, she was very forceful in that, no, the public service recommended it, happy to stand here and take questions, defending the record of the government. And, and that, that could unfold badly depending on, on what we later learn. And you, and you wonder, some of the players in the background, I'm thinking about Rachel Wernick, and without getting too deep in the weeds, she is the Assistant Deputy Minister with Employment and Social Development Canada. Rachel Wernick has said she's the person who recommended that the student service grants be administered by a third party and that it should be we charity. And that's what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been corroborating. So, Charles, is is Rachel Wernick about to become a household name? Um, I mean, how, how will this where will the responsibility land in all of this? Assistant deputy ministers rarely become household names, so I don't think Ms. Warnick has much to be worried about. She's also, um, by all accounts, being very forthcoming with her role in the process by which We Charity was recommended to deliver um, this particular service. And let's remember, I mean, the government has been operating at warp speed um, since uh, March in terms of getting money out the door and in terms of supporting Canadians. And one of the one of the inherent challenges of finding 
um, placements for students is the fact that, you know, things like CERB and other successfully delivered programs, as Karen notes, have largely been based on Canada Revenue Agency records, which has made life a lot easier for the government in terms of getting money to where it needs to go. Um, and that just isn't the case for the majority of students. And so that was also one of the inherent challenges in terms of how do you develop something that allows us to get money and jobs to young people in a timely fashion. And yet the other issue in all of this is that the money that would have been paid or may still be paid through a different organization, these volunteer students, is less than minimum wage. It worked out to about $10 an hour, and that could actually violate labor laws. So there's another issue, Karen. Yeah, Absolutely. Just to clarify that for a second, I mean, the way the program was originally conceived and structured was that um, a young person completing 100 hours of work would receive an honorarium of $1,000. And so, yes, that does work out to $10 an hour per se, but it also says that if you don't achieve the 100 hours, then you get nothing. Karen, you wanted to add to that? Well, no, and just um, on that, in that I had to, because I looked into it when I was learn about this program because I run a charity and I have volunteers and I have student volunteers. And so, and I have a need for volunteers. So I actually went to see how I could access this program. And it was what I had to do was I had to create a job, put it on the website, then invite the student to apply for that opportunity in order for them to be eligible. So it wasn't quite as straightforward as just getting a stipend for doing 100 hours of work. Like I had to create a, a, a job per se and have it be matched to a student who was looking for that job. And so it, 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 it was a below minimum wage job. Right. And, and you as uh, somebody who would be offering that position, if the funding worked out to minimum wage, you would have been quite happy to post the same job for minimum wage because it is effectively federal money that's paying for those positions, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. John, any final comments on We Charity before we move on to Premier Ford? Well, no, and I think, I think that's the, sort of the issue that's going to be coming out. I think more and more folks are starting to realize exactly what the details of the plan were, was or were. Um, and, and I think the, the biggest the sort of pain of all this is the fact that there's no program now, and it's been delayed as a result of this, and while well, the government tries to retool themselves to be able to do it. So I think students have lost out on this because of it, uh, and I guess we'll see what, what the details are as, as they come out um, and, and, you know, and find out what kind of discussions were there and whether it was, or not, was an intentional uh, mistake or, or, or unintentional mistake. Let's switch topics now to Premier Doug Ford's ongoing handling of the COVID-19 crisis in Ontario. Uh, Charles, your thoughts on his decision to move every region of the province, with the exception of Toronto, Peel and Windsor-Essex, into Stage 3 this Friday? It's certainly in keeping with um, the progress um, into Stage 2. It does have a different feel, however, given um, what's happening in the southern United States and what's what's happening in other parts of Canada at the moment, where we're seeing the persistence and the virulence of this virus. And this government has... You know, I think Premier Ford has done um, a, a reasonable job in terms of providing leadership, which is to say putting himself out there on an almost daily basis with his fellow ministers, um, providing some degree of accountability, uh, giving a good reckoning of himself in terms of being engaged and caring about the issues. But we've had two really huge setbacks, one in terms of 
testing overall, which took the government way longer than it should have to to resolve and still remains an ongoing challenge. And secondly, long-term care homes, which is not going away, which is highly problematic. Um, You know, the commission that has been announced, there just aren't the details that we were expecting to see. I mean, this commission was supposed to be hard at work by now, and we're still missing fundamental fundamental details. But the big problem, the big problem is schools and what they do about the schools problem, because they have a wolf by the ears at the moment, which is to say, um, it's the last place you want to be, but you dare not let go. And they have to make a fundamental decision as to whether they're going to open schools full time, what that's going to look like, how much additional classroom space will have to be found to facilitate social distancing among students. And, you know, by August 1st, if, if, if the, the, the sort of reemergence of COVID in places across Canada, including Toronto and Ontario, continues. I mean, it is nearly an impossible decision for the government because, as Karen has pointed out on numerous occasions, it's essential that we get those kids back to school because, um, Obviously, parents can't go back to work and can't go back to full-time employment until they know their kids are are safe and secure and in an appropriate uh, environment like our schools. But how do we send them back if there's a chance that that we're putting them in harm's way? Mm -hmm. And that is one of the most intractable political problems I can remember um, in my time in politics. And and, And I think the government is having a very, very difficult time trying to figure out what happens next. Right. And the summer is just clicking by. Uh, Karen, Charles mentioned about today's daily cases in the province, 203, Mm -hmm. the highest in three weeks. Peel region had the most number of cases and two thirds of the cases are people 39 and younger. So certainly uh, the over 80 population in the early days of the pandemic, they were of crucial concern. But now when you have the bars reopening and even the patios and crowding and so on and so forth, that would appear to be leading to these higher numbers and what to do about that. Mayor Tory is talking about further restrictions on reopening bars. There seems to be a mutual respect between Mayor Tory and Premier Ford. What what needs to be done here strategy wise? Well, you know, it is a, it's a, it is certainly difficult because, um, you know, there are certainly an, an emerging group that is, you know, talking about the importance of opening schools and, um, and, and you know, a, a more balanced approach to, to dealing with the, the virus and our response to the virus. And then there's the other group that is very committed to making sure that we, you know, get our numbers down as low as possible to the point of even having nothing. And so it is, it's not clear to me um, how it's going to resolve itself because you can't have both. You can't have a strategy to wipe out the virus and have it go to nothing before you reopen the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then if you accept, okay, there has to be a balance in the approach, then what is the number that we're willing to live with? And, um, and I don't say that lightly because obviously it impacts people's lives and it could impact their health very negatively. Um, and so it is, it, it, it's certainly um, a difficult position for the government. Um, and it also, it's um, it, 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 the likelihood that we will see more, cases is that there's a high likelihood that we will see more cases when the bars reopen because that's consistent with every other jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And then it, then the question of when, when, when is it, when does it go from manageable to unmanageable? Because 200 cases is not like Florida. 200 cases can become like Florida, but 
you know, what what are the what are the triggers that we have to pay attention to, and and so those are those are those are the questions that again we still don't have a good handle on, and and the province is wrestling with it, public health is wrestling with it, um, we're all wrestling with it because it, it is um, until we have that framework in place, we don't know how to evaluate whether or not we're actually making success and gains or not. Karen, you and Charles both mentioned about schools, um, John. Premier Ford has been saying consistently that parents want their kids back in the classroom in September. And yet I was reporting on the news this morning, a new poll that shows two out of three parents are very nervous about sending their kids physically back to class. So how do you square that uh, difference uh, of positioning? Well, I think if you were to ask the question, you know, would you would you like to have your, your kids back to school in September? I think most parents would say yes, but I'm not surprised that two-thirds would be reluctant or at least afraid uh, or, or, or just worried about sending them back to school. Because I think at this stage, they're still not sure with respect to what the plan is as far as, you know, are, are schools going to be safe? How are they going to focus on social distancing? So I think those plans are, are being worked on now. I think, generally speaking, the, the Premier knows and understands the value and the importance of having kids back to school in September. Um, you know, I, I think the Premier's overall been doing a really good job with, with COVID. I think he's been consistent uh, in listening to the healthcare authorities uh, in his decision-making process. He opens up phases um, with, with always with a bit of caution. He doesn't do it with a sense of, great, now we're going to open up this phase. Let's, let's all go at it. He, he opens them up cautiously and, and carefully, but yet still sends the message of, you know, social distancing and making sure everybody does what they have to do. And, and for those that, that break the law or, or tend not to do uh, what they're supposed to do. He's not, you know, he's not shy about calling them out at, on, on daily press conferences and, and shaming them, which I think is important. So he does this because he knows the economy is important, but yet he still use, views the health authorities um, and their advice uh, as the trump card, if need be. He's more than happy. He's more than, I think, more than willing to, to shut down things again. If it continues, they watch the numbers closely uh, and, they, and they see what, what's happening. And I think the fact that he's doing it regionally, you know, across, as he did with phase two, as he's doing with stage, with, with stage three, that he's doing it sort of regionally is a smart way to go. Because obviously, as you saw from the numbers today, Peel in uh, Toronto and Windsor are the ones that still top the top the list as far as COVID cases. So mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, when I live in Toronto, I'd love to see, uh, you know, us go into stage three, but I'm also, you know, not willing to jump into stage three, knowing that there's still uh, this, the virus is out there. And if, if anything, Jane, the fact that we see those under 39 getting it goes to show you that this, this virus is not, um, does not have age, uh, you know, concerns. It, it, it'll affect everybody and anyone. And that's, I think, the, the key thing that we have to realize until we find a, a vaccine. We will leave it there. Thank you, Strategy Panel, as always. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. Libby will look forward to chatting with you when she's uh, back. Well, she's back on Thursday, but she'll be with the strategy panel next Tuesday. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President, Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and Karen Stins, former Toronto City Councilor and current CEO of Variety Village. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.